Father, we, uh, we thank you once again, Lord, as we, as we can gather together. And I just think about coming together and, and lifting up our hearts in, in, in those songs. And God, I, uh, oftentimes as I'm singing, I think it'd be really great if you just took us to heaven in the midst of one of those. And, and Lord, uh, it's great to worship you by faith in truth. And I pray that as we, as we continue with that attitude, that heart of worship, that your word would come alive to us. It wouldn't, wouldn't be just things we're reading. It wouldn't just be ideas or thoughts. But God, it would be some reality that we can flesh out in our lives. That we would better understand the things that we're going through, the, the things that are happening, happening around us, and the things that are happening inside of us. So give us ears to hear today, and most of all, Lord, give us a heart that's pliable and moldable and shapeable by you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, last time I know we did verse 13, spent a lot of time talking about the word and got evidence why we can trust this thing we call the Bible, or at least evidence of, of that it exists and it's true. Now comes a point of, all of that is good, and I think it's important to do. I wouldn't have stopped and done it. But the important, important part is, do we believe it or not? Is it true inside of us? And here's what we're gonna see today. We're gonna see a kind of a, 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 a look at and a contrast of those who believe the word and those who do not believe the word. And I think sometimes as Christians, I think we get a little bit mixed up thinking that because we believe and we believe the word that everybody should believe like us. And, and yeah, I want people to go to heaven, but I'm not so naive to think that the world's gonna have the same standards and the same worldview as I have. And I, I know they're gonna disagree with me. I know they're even going to come against me if they get the opportunity. So Paul here in this section, listen, he's continuing on with the whole idea of those who have come against him, but now he's developing that into, they also came against that church, that body of believers there in Thessalonica, that he had to leave suddenly and, and kind of escape so he wouldn't be, uh, bottom line, so he wouldn't be killed. And he had to rush out of there. And as I read this letter, and I know I've mentioned it a couple times, you can just see his heart for those people. It seems like Paul just had this intense love for the church at Thessalonica. And what blows my mind, he didn't spend a long time there. So picking it up again in verse 13, we'll talk about a couple more things because I, I think it's important again. He says, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So Paul, again, is continually thanking God that they not just, listen, they received it, and I think that's kind of an objective thing. They received it, it came to them, they heard it. And then he says, not just that, but you also accepted it or received it. That's a subjective thing that we choose to, to uh, allow the word to take root in our heart. So listen, they didn't just, and a lot of us, we hear something, but do we allow it to affect us? Do we allow it to change us? 
And one way that's gonna happen is obviously the Holy Spirit working in us and making it real. But here's what he says, man. I thank God continually because of what took place in your heart. You didn't just believe that it's the word of God. You accepted it as the word of God. You let it penetrate in you. And then I love this part. And he says, and then it works effectively, or or, uh, the word of God, which also effectively works in those who believe. The thing that changes our lives is the word of God. Not what people say, not, you know, slogans, not drummed up things. The word of God will effectively change our lives and our worldview, how we look at things, the way we perceive things. You know, sometimes people will, will even, you know, accuse believers. Well, you know, you got those Bible glasses on. Yeah, you're right. The Bible changed how I look at the world. The Bible changed how I look at other people. The Bible has changed my life. And that's what he's saying to these guys. Now, here's what's kind of strange. He was only there a few months, and obviously something radical happened to that group of people there in Thessalonica. Radical enough that Paul is blown away by it. And so he tells them that. Now, listen, now he says this. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to stop in the middle of 14 and, and talk a little bit about just how, he, just how he presents that. Now, we read it and we read churches. And when we read churches, we think, what do we think? Churches, right? People gathering together. In the original language, that word is simply a word, ecclesia, and all it means is gathering or assembly. It doesn't mean any particular assembly. You could say the ecclesia of a political party. You could use it in so many different ways. So he has to define it. And notice how he does that. He says, listen, you, uh, you, you imitate, you became imitators of the ecclesia of God. So he says, of God. Now, Listen, some of us might think that's enough. No, because that could also imply all the synagogues because the synagogues were meeting under the name of God. So, so he could say that. He goes a little bit further. He gives a geographical location in Judea, but then he says this, in Christ Jesus. Paul is very specific about what has happened there in Thessalonica. Lives were changed, and they were changed because they were following Jesus Christ because they believed in him, they believed in the gift of salvation from him, and that separated them from everybody else. I think that's important today. Not in the sense that we wanna isolate ourselves, and not in the sense that we gotta get so narrow, but in the sense that we need to understand if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are different from the world. And I believe in, in, uh, in the church in America now, we're trying to intermingle so much and, and trying to mash so much together that we're forgetting our identity and who we are. We're in Christ Jesus. That should make us see things different. And here's the problem, when somebody sees something different from us, we get all freaked out about it. Why do we get all freaked out? They're not believers. It always cracks me up when people go, well, you know, this corporation's doing blah, 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 And I go, really? They're doing that? And they say, yeah. And I go, they're not believers. Why do you expect them to act like believers? That's called, listen, when unbelievers act like believers, you know what that is? That's hypocrisy. 
And here we are as Christians, we want everybody to be a hypocrite. People are not gonna see things the same. That doesn't mean, listen carefully, that doesn't mean we have to be mad at them. That doesn't mean we have to alienate them. That doesn't mean we have to push them away. We just need to understand they're gonna see things differently. Some of us have grown up in different cultures. Hey, I grew up as a kid with a, with a, with a grandmother that was uh, obviously immigrated here, spoke a different language, did things. Her culture was different. She saw everything through those eyes, and it was different. My grandma didn't see things through, you know, the eyes of us kids. She saw things through the eyes of the famous saying, the old country, right? And, and looked at things that way and saw them that way. Why? Because that's who she was. Christians, we should see things differently, and we shouldn't be ashamed of it, nor, on the other hand, should we be people who we want to fight and bicker and argue about it. So he says, listen, here's what Paul says. You guys receive the word that effectively works in you, and he says, then, brother, and he says, listen, you became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea. He says, man, you became imitators of, now, notice what he says, because I think it's interesting, churches. Not the church, churches. By the time Paul went to Thessalonica, there were several churches in Judea. That's the Jerusalem area. Listen, he understands there were several churches going on and you became imitators. Now, how did they imitate them? Because I think this is the important part and I think this is a part we don't like. Look at what he says at the end of verse 14. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen just as they did from the Judeans. Oh, oh. If you haven't read Acts 16 and 17, and you've been coming, if you're, if you're just visiting today, I get why you haven't, but if, you, if, you've, if you've been coming, you were supposed to read that. That was homework. And if you haven't read that, shame on you. Like three weeks, four weeks, I've been telling you to read that. So if you haven't read it, shame on you. But most of us have, I think. And what we understand is when Paul planted that church, it caused an uproar in Thessalonica, right? And they came and they were so angry against him that they came and they couldn't find him, but they arrested Jason, whose house they were meeting in, and arrested him and drugged some of them off. And later on, he had to post a bond and a bail to get out of jail to be able to carry on. So here's what Paul says. You became imitators, why? Because your own countrymen did the same thing to you that the countrymen of the Judeans did to them. Here's what happens. If you are a believer, the world's not gonna like you. We need to understand that. And here's, what's, here's what I think we gotta get in our hearts. It's okay if they don't like you. Don't get mad at them. Don't get angry with them. As a matter of fact, I think we should have some compassion on them and we should have some care about them because they don't see things the way we see things. Because they can't, because they're not born again. So he says, you became imitators, why? You suffered persecution. And here's the thing, man, somebody says some little thing to us and we like go off the rails. I can't believe they said that. I'm like, oh, I'm being persecuted for Jesus, I can't do that. Come on. All they did was say, I don't believe like you and we come undone. Whenever people do that to me, I always tell them, when they're like having a real fit and they're, they're like devastated, this is my compassion. Here's what I tell them. I said, you know what? When you get to heaven, have a conversation with Paul. Let him know how you suffered for Jesus. <laughs> Listen, don't get uptight if somebody comes against you. It's okay. It's all right. And, and as I said, we should, 
part of it we should count, yes, I'm walking the right way. There's a story about, about uh, John Wesley. He was, he was, you know, I don't know if you know much about John Wesley. He was like a, he was like a preaching machine. He used to do like, you know, 15 messages a day and ride his horse to different places and do things. And he was a, he was a maniac. Well, he's, he like stopped, took a little nap and got up and he's riding his horse and he's like, he's like praying, he's saying, God, I must be doing something wrong. Nobody's yelled at me. Nobody's persecuted me. And all of a sudden a brick comes, hits him in the head. And he goes, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> listen, listen. We should understand that it's okay. I believe we're living right if the world doesn't agree with us. And again, I'm not wanting us to be violent, revolutionary, mean people. I want us to understand that, that it's all right. And he says, listen, you became imitators. And now, now listen, Paul gets a little bit harsh here because of what's going on. He says, listen, he said, you suffered from your own countrymen the, uh, just as they did from the Judeans, verse 15, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and persecuted us. Here's what he's saying. He's going, do you hear what Paul just said? This is intense. Paul just said the Jews killed the Lord Jesus. That's kind of heavy. I think that's a little intense. Now, I personally believe, I don't believe the Jews killed him. I believe they were an instrument used in getting Jesus to trial and bringing charges. I don't even believe Rome killed him, although they were an instrument used to nail him to the cross. My Bible says that Jesus gave up his life. He wasn't killed. He gave up his life. A lot of times we like to be, we like to be all spiritual and say, well, it was my sin. No, it wasn't even your sin. He gave his life up. But there were instruments used. And here Paul calls out his own countrymen for doing that. That's pretty intense. And he says, listen, he says they did this. Now, here's what blows my mind. And he says, and they killed the he says they killed the prophets and they have perse persecuted us. Does that kind of blow your mind that Paul says, and they persecuted us? Do you remember who the main persecutor of the church was? It's this guy writing the letter, right? He went after the church big time and it's kind of interesting now. He's understanding and he's seeing how wrong that was. Have you ever noticed that when God delivers you from something and you truly repent and you truly change. Have you, have you ever noticed how ugly that thing gets? And that's what Paul says. And so he's not being anti-Semitic. What's bad and what sort of breaks my heart is there are people who take this verse, rip it out of context, and use it to be anti-Semitic, to be against the Jews, to cause things. Hitler used it that way. Others have used it that way. Even in modern times, people will use it that way. That's why it's so important to keep everything in context in the Bible. That's why it kind of bothers me sometimes. I think memorizing scripture is good, but I want to remind us, we don't memorize one verse and use it as a magical incantation to fix things in our lives. We memorize it to hide God's word in our heart. So listen, he's not anti-Semitic. And Jesus himself in Matthew 23 said that the Jews killed the prophets. Now here's a mind boggler. What are we talking about? We're talking about people who receive the word and people who reject the word. Here's a mind boggler. Those who reject the word who have been given a lot of light, i.e. the Jews, 
They do the worst when they're going against the light that they have. Read your Old Testament. Read what happens to them as they reject this vast light that they've been given and kind of apply that to your life and the amount of light you've been given. Are you allowing it to change you? Are you allowing it to work in you? Or are you just somebody who, hey, yeah, I read my Bible because that's what Christians do. And yeah, I'm even doing it through the year with you, Pat, because you nag on us all the time. And I wanna hear that. And you know what? And I come to church and I do my church thing and that's what Christians do. If your life is not being affected, then all of that doesn't count. And you may even fall into the category of rejecting great light and really blowing it. So he says, listen, he says, they killed Jesus, they killed the prophets, and they persecuted us. And look at this last thing. And they do not please, or or, I'm sorry, yeah, and they do not please God and are contrary to all men. So here's what he's saying. God's not blessed by that. And we need to understand that. And I think most of us get that. But he also says, and they're contrary to all men. Have Have you ever been around a grumpy Christian? Don't poke your husband right now. Do not do that. It's so rude. But man, grumpy, nothing bothers me more the mad, grumpy Christians. I'm thinking, why are, you, why are you being a mad, grumpy Christian? Aren't you saved? Aren't you going to heaven? Why are you being so grumpy? What's the matter with you? And you live contrary, and you just want to pick fights with everybody, everybody you come in contact with. You want to tell them, well, this is wrong, well, that's wrong, with and you do all that stuff, and you're Mr. Negative. And here's what I found. People don't like to be around negative people. Well, some do. Other negative people. Negativity breeds negativity, breeds negativity. But it gets down, right? So here's what he's saying. And they're contrary, listen, they're not pleasing God and they're contrary to all men. And then I think this is the intense. Look at verse 16. Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles. Listen, man, they put up barriers so Paul could not share with the Gentiles. What was Paul's, quote, MO? When he went to a city, what did Paul do? He went to the synagogue. Why? Because that was his roots. He could relate there, and he would go to the synagogue, and he would share, and they would say, oh, we don't want those Gentiles to get saved. You know who the Gentiles are? Us, right? I think most of us are Gentiles in here. I don't think there's a whole bunch of Jews. I know some of you do the DNA test, and you find out you have one, 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 one thousandth of a Jew in you. I'm Jewish. I got one, one thousandth. So that doesn't count. So listen, Gentiles, and here's what he says. They were forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles. And here's the worst part, that they may be saved. Oh. Nothing bothers me as much as when people get uptight about people getting saved. Man, that just like, and it, and you hear it from so many different ways. Well, you know, there's this guy and he doesn't, he doesn't do the altar call right and people get saved. People are getting saved. Why are you so freaked out about it? Well, I don't like that church and people are getting saved there. People are getting saved. You need to take a chill pill. What is the matter with us? And I've even had people, even recently, I've had some people come to me not happy with what we're doing here. Why? People are getting saved. And they tell me, I'm not really happy about people getting saved. I'm going, seriously? Like, I think you're in the wrong church. 
Why would you not be happy about that? Well, you know, they're taking up, they're taking up space. Yeah, I know, they probably sat in your seat, didn't they? They sat right, they sat in your seat. How dare they? Christians, this is how, listen, we laugh, but this is how dug in we get, and we're not happy about it. Over the years, I have been approached a number of times by people not happy because people, as our church starts growing and starts changing and things start happening, people start getting uptight because people are getting saved. Why on earth would you do that? I think you need to memorize this verse and get it in your heart. They forbid us to speak to Gentiles that they may be saved. Who does that? Angry people and people who reject the light. Oh, now, listen, for those of us that wanna go like fight with those people, here's the lesson you need to get from Paul. Listen, verse 16 again, they forbid us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sin, but the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Do you hear what he's saying? Listen, he's not like condemning them. Here's what he's saying. I'll let God take care of them. I don't have to worry about them because I can't do what God can do. And I like the idea, listen, in Paul's mind, that wrath's already come. May not be manifested, because some of us get uptight, don't we? Come on, admit it. Do you ever get uptight and think God's not bringing judgment soon enough on, on things you think need to be judged? I am so glad he hasn't brought judgment, because if he would have brought judgment before I got saved, that would have stunk, because I wouldn't have got saved. So here's what he's saying, man. God can take care of them. Do you understand that people are going to have to be accountable to God for the actions they do, for the things they say, for what happens? And that's not on you. Let them, let them do that. Now, I think you can warn them, but other than that, just let it go. Years ago, when I, when I went to Calvary Chapel Bible College in 86, that wasn't that long ago, but when I, went to, when I went to Bible college, right before I went, they had a different director. And that director had embezzled $50,000 from the Bible college. And he got busted. And people came to Chuck Smith, who was over the Bible college, and they asked him, they go, are you gonna press charges? He goes, nah. And they go, really? Why would you not do that? And he said, I think God can do a better job than we can do. And I'll just turn them over to God. Now I think the prayer is that they would repent and, and, and get rid of that. But listen, turn things over to the Lord. Don't, don't try and handle it on your own. So Paul says, hey, and he's saying, listen, they're filling up their sin. Do you remember when God talked to Abraham? Remember when they, remember when they walked through the animal parts? Genesis 15, some of you have no clue what I'm talking about. It's okay, man, go read Genesis 15. And, and God's making that covenant, and then do you remember what he told Abraham? Your descendants are going to be in a country and be enslaved for 400 years. And then do you remember what God said? Do you remember he told them why? Why were they gonna do that? Because the sins of the Amorites, the sins of the Canaanites, the sins of the people in the land had not reached their full measure. God gave all of those people, people get uptight about, about the Old Testament. Listen, God gave them 400 years to repent. That's pretty patient. And he says they're gonna do that because their sins haven't reached their fullness yet. And let's hope they repent. So listen, these people, Paul's saying they're building up, they're getting this account. 
Now, here's the heart of Paul for these people. Look at verse 17. So all of that's going on. Listen, you've suffered this. I know that's going on. But, right? But is a, a, a contrast, right? Someone do this, yes. Remember grammar? We used to study that. Do they teach that in school anymore? Don't answer that. So listen, but we, brethren, having been taken away from you, or having taken away from you for a short time in presence, but not in heart. Do you hear, do you hear what he's saying? He got ripped out of there. Go back and read. Remember, he, they took him out at night, and they got him out of there, and they sent him to Berea, and then he went to Athens, and now he's sitting in Corinth writing this letter. Now, here's what sort of blows my mind. This is my imagination. You can chuck this part later on. This is my imagination. He's sitting in Corinth writing to this church. He's loving on these guys. He loves these Thessalonians. He's sitting in Corinth. Ooh. Have you read the letters to the church at Corinth? Man, they were a mess. I think of all the churches in the New Testament, man, that church at Corinth was a huge mess. They had it wrong on almost every kind of doctrine there is. I think the only thing they had right is maybe, maybe salvation. All the rest of it, they were messed up. And Paul's sitting in, the, in that mess writing to these guys. I think, he's, I think this was his escape. And he says, but guys, remember, we got torn out of you. We got ripped out of you. And he uses very strong language. You got ripped, but did you hear what he says? Only in the physical not in the spiritual. We're still there with you. We still love you. We're still part of you. Don't you love that? Because we may not be there physically, but we're there spiritually, and we're there for you. So he says, listen, we did that, and it was for a short time, in presence, not in heart. And he says, listen, we endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Man, Paul wanted to get back to Thessalonica. Now, part of that, and this is me, part of that, I'm thinking, if I was in the church at Corinth, I'd want to get back to Thessalonica too. But he says, I want to get back. I endeavored. Now, I have read ahead. He sends Timothy. But here when he's saying we, it's not just the literary we, it's him, Timothy, and Titus. They had a heart for these guys. And he, he says, listen, man, I, we strived, we strained, we wanted to get back there. Our goal was to get back to Thessalonica. Now, I have read the book of Acts. He never makes it back to Thessalonica. But he's writing, and that's my heart, and that's what I want to do. Now, here's the part that I think is interesting. Verse 18, therefore, we wanted to come to you. Even I, Paul, time and again. You, you hear, listen, he brings it up again. My desire, my aim, I was going to get back there. I wanted to come to you. And then he drops this bomb. He says, I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. Oh, oh. But wait, you're the Apostle Paul. Like Satan bugged you? Well, I think he bugged him a lot more than he bugs any of us. But do you hear what's happening here? I'm of the opinion that right here there's not enough information. What do you mean Satan hindered you? Like, could you explain that a little bit? If you read Acts and read some of Paul's other writings... He doesn't say this very often. He usually says, but God hindered us. Especially when he was trying to get and avoid that area 
of Philippi, Thessalonica. Remember, he was going in an entirely different direction in the book of Acts, chapter 16. He was going his own way, and he hit a wall, and God said, no, I don't want you to go that way. Do you guys remember? And God, like, said, no, don't go that way, and Paul went another way, hit another wall. Paul went another way. Are you kind of getting the idea that Paul didn't always hear from God real clearly, and he kept hitting these walls, and then finally a man from Macedonia appeared to Paul and said, why don't you come up here? Good idea. So, listen, he understood that was God, but here he's saying Satan hindered him. I believe, number one, first and foremost, I believe Satan is real. I believe he, he exists. He's not, he's not a guy with a little red suit and a, a pitchfork. You know, he's not that guy. But I believe he's real, and I believe, I believe his whole objective is to do whatever he can to discredit and ruin God's plan. But I've also read the end of the book, my God wins, Satan loses. That's important to know. But man, he can give us a hard time. And I think most of us, I think, here's what, I think most of us can create enough chaos in our lives without Satan. And we can kind of miss things that we're supposed to do without Satan. But here Paul says, Satan hindered us. And I always want discernment. Listen, when I'm trying to do something and I feel opposition and, and, and I feel like, like, there's, like there's, I don't know if that door's closed, I don't know if God's doing it, or Satan, then you gotta, listen, you really gotta get serious and get serious with the Lord. Is it God stopping me or is it Satan hindering me? And some of you are like, oh, give us the answer. I don't have the answer. Paul does right here and he doesn't tell us. Kind of makes me mad. I just wish he would. Satan hindered us with blah, 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 blah. But he just goes, Satan hindered us. So we need some discernment there. Now, one more thing. Isn't it interesting that Satan could hinder Paul? Because I've been around some people, and this may offend some of you, and you're just going to have to get over it if I offend you. I've been around people that bind Satan. I've been around people and I prayed with people and they'll bind Satan and put him in the pit of hell. And here's the thing, why didn't Paul do that? If that's a reality in the way we can do things, why wouldn't Paul do that right here? Why would Paul say Satan hindered me? Why wouldn't he just bind him, put him in the pit of hell and go on with life? I don't think that's good doctrine. When people do that, here's what I think. Either you bind him with very crummy ropes and he keeps breaking out, because the next week we're binding him again, or there's a revolving door in this pit of hell, or you don't have the power you think you have. Hmm. Paul doesn't pull that. And so I've gotta go, I gotta go with the apostle Paul and the word of God. He just says Satan hindered him. Sometimes he's going to keep us from something, and we just simply need to accept that and not get to where we think we're like some kind of pushing forward. So listen, he says, Satan hindered us. And then he says this, for, I love this, what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Does that sound good? Listen to what Paul's saying. What is it that I, what is it that brings me that assurance, that hope, the biblical hope we talk about. What is it that brings that? What is it that brings me joy? What is my crown of rejoicing? It is seeing those that I've influenced for Jesus Christ in his presence at his coming. That's his joy. 
And saints, that's joy that can never be taken away, never be ripped off, and it's not some artificial, oh, I'm really happy right now, because there's things that make me happy in this world. But those are temporal. I want that abiding joy. And here's what Paul says. His joy comes from being a Jesus influencer. This is a, this is a new term Pat's doing. Spread this around. We're gonna be Jesus influencers in our world. You see, with social media and the rise of social media and different things going on, you know, it's, it's just like blows my mind. Right now, the big thing, and, and a lot of this is like getting rampant in churches and pastors. The big thing now, uh, it, like people will ask me, do you have a YouTube channel? Here's my answer. I think so. And then I say, ask Matt. Matt does all the IT stuff. Not Jack, Matt. Do you have, I think, I think we do, yeah, I think we have one. How many subscribers do you have? I don't know. Why not? And here's the, here's the thing, and then we wanna be influencers. And there's a big buzz right now, are you a YouTube influencer? Now, I wanna be a Jesus influencer. Now, I don't think there's wrong, anything wrong with using those tools, obviously we use them, but some of you have been around in other denominations. Wasn't it in the late 50s, early 60s, even into the 70s some? Wasn't the big thing, and it was mostly Baptist circles, a bus ministry? Any of you remember that? I remember I went to this one thing with a bunch of Baptists, and they go, so how big is your bus ministry? <laughs> I'm not sure I know what you're talking about. You know, your bus ministry. We don't have one of those. Oh. And then it became, how many radio stations are you on? Are you getting my point? And then now it's all this YouTube and, and, and doing that. You know, listen, Facebook's not enough. Now you gotta do YouTube. And you gotta hit that subscribe button. Just one time, hit that subscribe button. One time, you know it'll help us with our algorithm. See, I got that down. It'll help us with our algorithm, move us to the top. They use this thing. Hey, I'm not wanting it, but YouTube demands it. So hit that, so, and I'm thinking, would you just stop with the subscribe button? And we're starting to buy into that. We should be Jesus influencers. It shouldn't bring us joy because we have 15,000 followers on YouTube. It should bring us joy because people are going to heaven and going to be in the presence of Jesus because somehow God used us to communicate to their souls. That's what Paul's saying. And so I know, I know, I bring this up with some of my friends. They go, Paul didn't have YouTube. That's why he didn't care. Careful, saints. I want to be a Jesus influencer. And I think we can. Be used of God to bring people to the Lord, but listen carefully. We can also use, be used of God to bring people to maturity and to grow and to have an understanding. And you know what that takes? That takes interacting with people, getting involved in their lives, touching them. Are you hearing the heart of Paul? Listen, all he could think about right now is getting back to those people. And what does he say? You bring me joy. You're my joy. You're my hope. You're my joy. You're my crown. And then he says, in the presence of the Lord when he comes. Here's the thing. Are you noticing in Thessalonians already? Is this the third or fourth time he's brought up the second coming? Already. What is on the heart of Paul? Jesus coming back. Any moment. Oh, then this closes with, 
for you are our glory and our joy. Yes. Let's be that. Let's be Jesus influencers. Let's just start a whole new thing. Get a t-shirt, get it tattooed on your forehead, get some ink on your arms. Jesus influencer, I kinda like that. And go around and talk to people. Someone's gonna do that and I'm gonna get in trouble. Let's make a difference in our world. Saints, don't be shocked when the world comes against you. Don't be shocked when they don't have the same ideas you have. Don't be shocked when their view, their whole worldview is almost the opposite of your worldview. Why wouldn't it be they don't know Jesus? So our, our motive in that is to bring them to Jesus. Get an understanding. And you know what you have to do to bring them to Jesus? You're gonna have to be nice to them. You're gonna have to befriend them. Some of us are so afraid of befriending somebody who doesn't know Jesus. You want me to have heathen friends? Yeah, yeah I do. Make some friends with people. They're not believers. Oh, it's not contagious. You'll be okay. Make some friends with some unbelievers. Talk to them. Have conversations with them. Find out what they're interested in. Find out what direction they're going. What are they thinking about life? And then be a Jesus influencer and start bringing Jesus into the conversation. But you gotta befriend them. You gotta get involved in their lives. And let's do that. And then you're gonna end your letter and you're gonna say, you're my hope and my joy and my crown. When Jesus comes, we're gonna be there together. Hallelujah. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we have your word and that your word challenges us and it's not something that we just read and, and, and put away, but God, it, it goes into our hearts. Not just our intellect, but into our hearts, and it changes us. So I pray here today, I pray, I pray right now that we would be in that place where we are fellowshipping communion having that time with you where we're allowing you to make your words come true in us so we can influence the world around us. And it might even be through YouTube, that's fine. But our goal's not likes, our goal is people getting saved. And so, Lord, I pray that your name would be exalted in our lives that people would be changed and ministered to as we give them your, your word and as we love on them. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in that place of prayer just a little bit longer. And if you are here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe somebody invited you to church today, maybe you came with a friend, maybe you just dropped in, but God has touched your heart and now, now you know, man, you gotta face some reality. And either you are going to receive the word of God and accept it, or you're gonna reject it. It's one or the other. And so you need to make that decision. Or maybe you've been here for a long time. Hey, maybe you've come to this church for 25 years, and today you're realizing you've just been a poser. You've not been the real deal. You've never really received the word of God in your, in your life or accepted it. You've received it a lot, but you've never accepted it. Today is a day of salvation. Give your heart to Jesus. 
Call on his name and you will be saved. Let him know this morning that you know you're a sinner. Let him know that you're sorry for your sin and that today, right now, in this moment, you want him to forgive you of your sins. If you say that to the Lord, he'll hear you. You will be born again. If you're backslidden, come home, man. Come back to Jesus. We're gonna say a prayer here in a minute and I want you to say it with us. You can say, anybody can say this prayer. They can say it out loud. They can say it silently, but it's gotta be your heart. If you're watching online, say this prayer with us right where you're at. You don't have to be in this building. You can say it right there. Jesus, today I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you, God. And right now, I need your forgiveness. I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you for your forgiveness. And now I want you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my life and guide me. Today, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior.